everybody. Welcome back to Channel Chat Season 2. I'm your host, Amity Shedd, and today, for this episode, we are in Lakeview, Iowa, with Channel Seedsman Andrew Phillips and grower Mark Sliceman. Welcome to the episode, guys. How's it going? Good. <laughs> Good. Let's start with some introductions. Mark, would you like to kick it off? Sure. Uh, I'm Mark Sliceman from Lake City, just about uh, 15 miles east of here. Uh, I farm with my family. We call ourselves a diversified family farm because I farm with my son, son-in-law. My daughter does the records. My dad's still around and helps quite a bit, and so do my uncles. So uh, I'm a little unique as a farmer because I was in industry business for about 27 years, and then I came home to farm about 10 years ago. So my name is Andrew Phillips. Um, I started in the seed industry about five years ago and uh, got the opportunity to come back to my home area in Lakeview and, and start a business. Um, it's gone really, really well, and I get to work with a lot of people that I grew up with in this area. Um, we also farm on the side with my dad and my brother. Um, so we farm um, uh, corn and soybeans, and we also have a vineyard. Um, so that's kind of a unique twist, but uh, primarily my job is to run Phillips Ag um, and my seed business, and uh, we also do some fertilizer and chemical and, and crop insurance also. I've been with Channel in this area for three years now, um, and it's, uh, it's been a really, really fun and, and uh, a good way to you know, give back to the community and um, kind of get involved with the people that I've grown up with my whole life. So. And Mark, for you, how long have you been in this area? I grew up in Lake City and then uh, moved away. I was a crop consultant in central Nebraska for about nine years, and then I, I managed the popcorn division of ConAgra Foods, Orville Redenbacher and Act Two, for about 24 years, and then worked as a consultant for four more years with them. Wow. And then in the last 10 years, I've been home farming. Um, my dad and uncles used to farm together, and we took over their operation, and that's when I brought my kids in. Um, we have hogs. We sell about 30,000 pigs a year. We have a cow-calf herd, about 360 cows, and about 4,200 acres of row crop, which our primary crop is popcorn, and we grow some corn and soybeans, and a little bit of triticale or rye that we'll use as our own cover crop seeds. So you guys both grew up with kind of agriculture in your family. What was that like? Every day. I mean, that's what agriculture was like for me. Uh, it was... You know, you got to feed the animals seven days a week. There isn't a day off. Uh, it was kind of nice in our operation that we could get a vacation every now and then because it was a family farm and there were two other uncles there that could take care of things while we were gone. But it was, uh, from the time I can remember, it's been running a tractor, baling hay or cows, pigs, crops, whatever. For, for me, it was a little different. Um, growing up, my, my parents were kind of like, you know, are you sure you want to be in agriculture? Maybe you should go get out and do something different, be a doctor, be something else, right? And, uh, you know, when I was getting closer to my senior year of high school to, to go leave for college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I kind of landed on agronomy. And when I was away at college, um, I realized that I missed the farm a lot. And that's kind of ingrained in you, I think, when you do work on the weekends and you help on the farm at nights and stuff. So I think a lot of that came down to, you know, I just wanted to get back here. And actually how I met Mark was he hired me for my first job at, at ConAgra as a popcorn agronomist. 
so that's how I met Mark. And, uh, um, and then from there, I kind of just, you know, progressed through a few different jobs that have really been rounding for me and then landed here as a business owner and, and a seed sales salesman. So. And Mark, what brought you back to farming? I know you mentioned your family got into it and, the, and you brought your family back, but what clicked from the business side to the more uh, Being part of the popcorn business at ConAgra, I, I traveled a lot. I was gone probably 80% of the time out of this area, whether it be to another plant here in the United States or South America or Europe. And honestly, I'd, I love to travel, hate to be gone, you know, and you missed a lot of kids' activities, things like that. And at the same time, I always wanted to farm. There was never just a really good opportunity. When I, well, when I graduated from college in 1986, kind of the peak of the farm crisis, there was no good opportunity to come home. Uh, so it was good for me to get away and be an agronomist, have a job, work for somebody else. And then when my dad and uncles were getting to that point where they wanted to slow down, we wanted to start up. And it was just a good opportunity. I, I you know, I don't want to give up those experiences I had traveling, and I still like to do it, but it's more on my schedule now. Um, I need to be home, need to go to the kids' activities a bit more. I missed a lot of things in all that travel, and by being home on the farm, I can set my own schedule. Right. A little bit. Weather's pretty influential. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Plays a little bit yeah. in that part, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's go back and talk about your guys's start of your relationship. So you said that Mark hired you for your first job. How does that relationship continue today? Yeah, so I, I guess to expand on that, um, you know, starting up in this area with Channel, I just started to to go find the contacts that I knew, that I knew were good people, that I trusted, that were loyal, um, you know, that would actually just listen to me and, and give me a shot from the standpoint of, hey, come sit down, show me what you have, and then we can kind of go from there. And Mark was one of the first people to, to say, yeah, let's try this, you know, because Channel's a brand new company in this area. Um, we're kind of writing our own story, you could say, in this area. So it's been, it's been really, really good. And, um, you know, Mark was one of those people that on the ground level kind of got me started and helped me get started and uh, has continued to do that over the years. And, and, and we've worked together. But what's really neat about Mark is that... Um, I call him an influencer, so he's an influencer in his community. People watch what he does. You know, people um, respect the way he does things and respects, you know, his family. And so I really like working with influencers because not only do they teach me a lot, you know, they're kind of on the front edge of, of where agriculture is going, and, and that's really fun to work with people like that. How does that make you feel? <laughs> makes me feel good, but it's the same reason that – I had never planted channel before. Um, you know, I knew the name, but I'd never planted channel seeds before. But when Andrew offered that, at the same time, I trusted him that he wouldn't be giving me something that's going to fail. Um, I, I just trusted that he would give me something that was good. And when I look at a supplier or a, a, you know, somebody I want to work with, it's a lot the same way. I don't want to just buy seed from somebody. I want to learn as the year goes on. Um, if we're not learning, if we're not changing, we're going backwards in this business, it seems like. Um, you know, you're not going to plant the same hybrid probably much more than two years in a row because there's something new or better coming. And you, you want to be in contact with the people that know that. And I think Andrew knows that that's kind of the way I am. I'm not going to want to plant an old standby hybrid just because it's an old standby hybrid. I want to try the next best new thing, um, whether it be 
agronomically or genetically. And I, I know he can be a resource to us for that. Mark, you touched on it a little bit about what Andrew teaches you and shows you. How do you guys benefit from each other in business? And why is that relationship so important? I'll start with that question. Um, I think for me, um, you know, I, I think there's, A, there's a lot of seed dealers around. Um, but like he said, you, you got to try to work with the people um, that you trust and that you think have your back, you know, at all points. Um, so I, I, for me, how I always do things is I try to learn as much as I can from the people that I work for. Um, I learn every year new things about everybody's operation, about their family, about, you know, the products, obviously, about, um, you know, new agronomic things that we've seen throughout the season. I mean, that's my job is to learn. So I'm, I'm, I try to be a really good listener. And, and I, so I learn a lot from Mark from the standpoint of every time I pull on his place, um, you know, they're working with different chemicals than everybody else because they have popcorn or they're working with different timelines because they're harvesting their triticale and then they're trying to plant beans after, or, you know, they have so many different, um, uh, ways to do things on their farm that it, it just teaches me a lot about, you know, how can we diversify? How can we be profitable? Um, you know, who, who should we bring in to make, you know, each person's operation better from the standpoint of labor, um, you know, new techniques, new technology. Mark is on the cutting edge of technology. They are diversified from the standpoint of different crops, pigs, cows. Um, they're di diversified from the standpoint that they have an entire three generations, you know, of different um, family members that are young that can do work longer nights and, and you know, the middle management people and then the old guys are just there to, to kind of make sure everything's going the way they want it. So, um, you know, what I pick up from, from guys like Mark that I work with, I pick up a lot of things that help other operations that when they call, I can say, hey, you know, I understand your problem. Um, this is what I have seen from other operations. So it kind of, I, I guess I take pieces from every person I work with and I build a story. And, and that story um, helps me, you know, be, you know, influential in, in the operations that I work with. So, um, you know, I, I guess I just try to learn and I try to piece it together and I try to make sure that when I learn from people like Mark, that I can benefit other growers too and, and pass that information along. Right. So, you know, and, and for me, Andrew's a good source of, you know, what are you seeing in the field? Cause he, he's not just somebody that sells you the seed. He goes out and looks at it, you know? So if I see something strange in my field, I may be calling and ask, you know, have you seen this elsewhere? Or he may have already called me and said, Hey, I'm seeing this. And then I go look and I see it or, or you know, he's at least paying attention to what's happening in the area and not just, Oh, I sold the seed and come back next fall, see how it yields, but looking at it throughout the season. But then, you know, talking about everything from insects to weeds to fertility issues, what have you. Um, he's a resource for that. And, and that's what I want in, a, in somebody I deal with as a dealer, not, again, not just selling me the seed. Yeah, I, I, feel, like, I feel like initially when I first started um, Phillips Egg and, and my business, I thought I was a seed salesman. And it turns out you're not. <laughs> you're you're a um, consultant, 
sometimes they're having problems within the operation, father, son, and you talk to the son, and then 10 minutes later, the father calls, and he's talking, you know, this and that. So you, you're not just a seed salesman. You're a part of that operation, and you have financial conversations. You have weather conversations. You have, you know, where are we at with the process of turning your operation over to the next generation? Um, you know, what is your plan? I mean, we have so many different conversations throughout the year. Um, it's just, it's not, it's not a seed business. It's, it's more of a, uh, it's, to me, it's my life. You know, it's, it's everything encompassed together allows me to, to be a part of every operation that I work with. I mean, I, I think it's, you're not using the, the seed sales as, as the business. It's the business and seed sales is almost secondary to the business right. or the conversation. A lot of times you don't even talk about the hybrid or hybrids that channel has to offer. It might be just a conversation about how the crop is growing. The seed sales, almost something that's going to come later. It'll just happen uh, because it's more the relationship than it is. I got this product. I need to push on you today. Right. And, and those are the kind of people I want to work with Right. is that right there. He just explained it perfectly. Um, I don't want to work with a bunch of people that would sell you out for $5 a bag or, or don't value you picking up the phone at 5.30 a.m. or 1 a.m. or, you know, at, in the middle of the night. I mean, I want to work with people that my turnover rate is very low so that you can build that relationship and that you can have loyalty and you can have trust and you know you can give him, you know, $10,000 a seed you know, and, and you know he's going to pay you or bring it back and not, you know, find different avenues for it. So it, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of things, especially now with the economy of agriculture. Um, trust and loyalty are becoming huge because you need to have that when things are tight financially. Right. So You can't make a wrong move. And you got to have people that you trust giving you some advice along the way. I mean, I, I kind of, I sell popcorn seed internationally also but I would say most of the people I deal with they don't consider me as the salesman I'm kind of the advisor about how to grow popcorn in general and, and I look at Andrew the same way and that's who I like to do business with my focus isn't selling them seed it's helping them grow a better crop mm -hmm. and that's what I think he does for us what what do you think about whenever Andrew calls you a influencer do you think you're an influencer I, I like not to be but People watch. He's nodding. And we're his kind head. of in a visible spot where we live right along a highway. Everybody drives by, and what are they doing now? You know, they look <laughs> and. Uh, yep. I, I like uh, the progressive side of being an influencer. I mean, whether it be cover crops or conservation, um, and I think the business, being from the business side for twenty plus thirty years. You see that because you got to have continuous improvement there all the time in business to survive. And I, I think that's what we need in agriculture. We can't just keep doing it the same way all the time. And, you know, I credit my dad and uncle somewhat for that. They, they, they were pretty progressive themselves. Uh, in the later years of their farming, they kind of started gliding like most guys do. And if you got five or ten years left, you're not going to go out on a limb very far and try something new. Um, but I like trying something new. And that's what we do. We, we change every year. And my son and son-in-law buy off on that. And my dad and uncles have bought off on that a little bit more as we go all the time. Uh, because they, they realize we can't be the same all the time. 
um, technology changes, the finances have changed tremendously just in the 10 years I've started. Um, you know, I bought my dad and uncle's machinery for $2 million, the whole operation. I can tie that up in four pieces now. You know, in 10 years, it's changed that much. Um, a mil unfortunately, a million dollars isn't very much in a, in a big farm operation anymore. Right. And when you're working with that kind of money, you got to have advisors around you trust and be progressive. Speaking of trying new things, let's talk a little about, about your National Conservation Legacy Award. It's from the American Soybean Association. Can you explain a little bit about why you were awarded that? Uh, it all started with my early on relationship with the Iowa Soybean Association. They actually nominated me for the award. Um, close by here is a, a watershed called Elk Run, and it flows into the Raccoon River, which has received a lot of press with the water quality in, in Des Moines. Um, so Elk Run was a demonstration project that the Iowa Soybean Association was doing, and, and we were one of the first to cooperate with them in that area and putting in a bioreactor and a saturated buffer. And we have meetings at the farm. They bring bus loads of people from Des Moines that aren't farmers or ag-related, but to kind of show what we're doing. Um, and the Soybean Association is really helpful in, in educating farmers on what's happening with the water in the tile lines, in the rivers and such. Um, and I, the, the Des Moines Water Works lawsuit came on, and it, it was just let's try some things. Let's do more things than just bioreactor saturated buffers. We were messing around with some cover crops. I worked with Practical Farmers of Iowa on cover crops and um, documenting the economic benefit of cover crops to grazing with cattle or cows. And, you know, we always knew it kind of had a benefit, but that was a really good exercise for me to go through because I put dollars and cents to that return. And it opened my eyes up, but it was really something I could show to other people and what cover crops had to return to a, a cow-calf or a, a, a cattle operation in terms of residue. And, and then all of a sudden we start noticing other things, uh, soil quality benefits of the cover crops. And instead of just planting 80 acres of cover crops, we went to 300 acres of cover crops and then 2,000 acres of cover crops. And then last year we did about 4,000 acres of cover crops, almost on every acre. And we're not going to graze all those acres, but we're going to get those soil quality benefits. It was, it was a something we did that made it easier to step into no-till, easier to step into some strip-till because of the cover crop and showing what it does to the soil health and loosening it. You know, the old mentality was we got to go out there and turn it black and pull the ripper through the ground and loosen it up. And we found out the cover crops can do that for us, loosen the ground and and, you know, I had some field days with farmers in the area and all those things kind of went together and that's how we got the conservation award um, through the Iowa Soybean Association nominating us for some of these things we did. And, you know, again, on, on that whole side, I have to credit my dad and uncles because the bioreactor and saturated buffers actually on one of their farms that I farm for them, you know, and I went to them and asked them, you know, can we put this there? And the first thing my dad says, well, do we have a problem? You know, I, I said, yeah, we kind of do probably. I mean, the, the water coming out of the tile lines is this many parts per million nitrogen, and it really should be five instead of 15. And okay, well, we can try it then. And, you know, now I can take reports to them and show them the benefits of that. And 
they're like, okay, yeah, we can do that some other places too. You know, so they're seeing the benefits of it. But at the same time, they're of the generation that isn't really wanting to talk about stuff like that because they've done it for years. Um, and they're still that way. They, you know, farmers that are in that age group are just a little bit more to themselves and, and don't want to say we can do better at nitrogen and crop management and all those fertilizer things that we do need to do better at. And so I like educating or maybe trying to convince people that we can, we can do better. And one of the things that uh, I said was, I'm all for all these conservation things, but I'm going to make them pay on my farm. I'm not going to do it just because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do, and we're going to make money doing it. And that's been my challenge to myself and um, my son and son-in-law and dad is, you know, we'll do this stuff, but it's going to make us money. We're not going to do it because we got to survive, too. See, see now, now you're starting to understand why I like to work with people like him, right? right? So he's done the cover crops. He's showing that you can do it on a larger farm. You know, it's not just, uh, oh, it only can do cover crops because we only have so many acres, right? So he's doing it on a lot of acres. I took what he's doing, and I am implementing that on the farms that I am farming. And then once I am super comfortable with that, then I will offer that advice out. So it, this is the learning process, right, for me. So I'm learning a lot from him. Um, I'm implementing on my own farms. And then um, once I understand it completely like he does, then I, can, then I can help people understand it. I will never push anybody to do things they don't want to do. But it's just this circle, you know. And what we're doing right now, my dad is planting into green cover crop, corn into green cover crop, and we're going to kill it. And, um, so, and, and I know exactly what he's talking about. That field is drier than the stuff we didn't cover crop. It's warmer because it's drier and water is harder to heat. Um, the soil tilth is unbelievable. It works up so nice. You can no-till or, um, you know, or vertical till or strip till right into it and have a great seed bed. There's a lot of things that I really like about that also, and I'm trying, but it gets back to, why do I partner with the people I partner with? Because as I grow what I call my family of growers and I, I get people like Mark and, and other younger guys too, you know, he's an advisor to me as sometimes I am an advisor to him, but sometimes I become an advisor to some of these younger guys coming back that, you know, it's they're green behind the ears. And yeah, I'm only 32, but I have, I've been in the industry for a long time, you know, all my life. And um, it's just really fun to work, you know, in an area like this. Yeah, something Andrew said there sparked a thought. And to answer your question about how do I feel about him saying I'm an influencer, I, I don't want to be an influencer in the sense of, like he said, talking somebody into doing something. I'd rather show them that, hey, this is what we've been doing and it's worked really good for us. If they want to do it, they can do it. I'm not going to tell them they should do it because, you know, that's why they're farmers. For the most part, they want to do what they want to do. They don't want somebody telling them how to do it. But they do watch what we do, and then some of them try it, you know, or they'll call and ask questions, and I'll say how it works for us. And they might ask, do you think that'll work for me? And I'll, I'll say yes, or, you know, maybe you got to do a little bit different. But I, I would rather show and not be a forceful influencer by telling somebody what to do. Absolutely. And, and those are the influencers that are the hardest to find. Yeah. The best ones, but they're the hardest to find. So, 
you know, you, you have your people that are very opinionated and, and out in the public, in the community. Those are the easy influencers that everybody's trying to go to. But um, it, it's the people that kind of are the quiet influencers that everybody watches, that everybody respects. Those are the ones that are, to me, are the really powerful ones that I learn a lot from. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty neat to work, you know, with people that are so progressive. For example, last fall I was riding in the combine with him, and we were doing uh, seed beans, soybean, and he goes, check this out, and he had a, a camera that was in the clean grain auger, and, he, and he'd hit it and be like, if I go this fast, see all the extra foreign material that we're kicking in? That's not good for seed beans. So it backed the speed off, and then it got clean again. And it's just, that's just one small, tiny technology example of being progressive that is profitable, that makes him more money on his bonus, for example. Um, but but those, those are things. He just shows me what he does. Um, you know, we talk once in a while. As we go through the growing season, I try to call him. He's a super busy guy, but I try to call him, or, or if he calls, I usually pick the phone up because it's that, you know, we, <laughs> there's going to be something come out of it. So um, it's a good relationship that we have, and I, I really enjoy, you know, working with people like him. So It's so interesting and cool to hear all this information, to see how it's passed from you to him and you to others and you to others, and it's, it's very neat to see. Um, so that kind of brings me to my next question of being a business person in agriculture, how, and you touched on it a little bit in the past, but where do you see the future of ag and your place in innovating and hopefully improving? Where do you see your place in that? You know, I think the big challenge in, is that public perception of us and our relationship with the public. And that's really become obvious to me when I mentioned the bioreactor and saturated buffer where they brought people from the city out. Um, they don't understand what we go through and we don't always understand what they're thinking or seeing either. And we just need to communicate more. We're, we're gonna have to become better communicators with the public, the non-farming public, to continue on. We got to do better and we got to show what we're doing better. And the public has to say what they don't like what we're doing. So we know what to change too. Now, I don't think lawsuits are the way to do that. Like maybe the Des Moines Waterworks was, but we can have win-wins uh, and make it work too. And I think that's, we just got to listen and talk more. Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that drives larger companies too. Like, um, Bayer and Corteva and, and Syngenta. I mean, I, I think they're trying, you know, to make the biggest effort that they can to, to be sustainable, profitable, and healthy for the public. And, and every year we make tons of changes to do that for the people that we feed. And we're trying extremely hard to make those changes and to survive, especially when the economy is, is tougher like it is today. Um, but I, I think he's exactly right. I think it's very important that we get our word out. Um, and, and that's not an easy thing to do because the population of farmers is so small in the United States compared to the overall population. So um, it's just something that 
I think we need to try to make sure people understand that we're here for them. We're trying to grow healthy, um, you know, sustainable food for, for the world. And um, we're not going to stop. We're not going to try to, uh, um, you know, keep doing things the way they were in the past. We're going to try to continue to make changes to make everything better and more efficient. You guys are both family men. So where do you see their future in ag? If there is, is that something that you hope to pass down to them? Is What are your thoughts on that? Of course. I mean, I, I want to pass it down, but I mean, they have to want to do it too. Um, I'm kind of excited about the younger generation, even, um, you know, my, my son that's a senior, uh, excited that when he comes back in two or three or four years, whatever college he ends up going to, that he's, those, those, that age group is better at communicating than what we are with social media and things like that. And that's what we need to be better at because my age and older of farmers aren't comfortable communicating with the public. But I think that next generation will be, mm -hmm. or they'll be more comfortable than I am. That, that's what excites me more about them. I, they definitely have more of a worldly view. I mean, I'm kind of unique that I have a worldly view because of my previous work experience. And I think that's brought a lot to the farming operation because I, I, I saw things in South America or Europe that we've tried here, little pieces that we bring together. Um, and I think that younger generation is going to maybe things move faster all the time and they're more comfortable doing that. That's why I think uh, they could make this even better than what we got it now. So I, I have four kids. I have three daughters. And then um, the last one we just had three weeks ago is, is the last Your one first? my son. Yep. Yes. So, but um, for, for me, you know, I really haven't got as far as him on thinking of, you know, you know, can I turn this over to one of them or multiple of them? More what I've kind of always thought in my life is that, you know, I just want to teach them hard work, you know, respect, being humble. You know, if, if I can teach those things by them watching me work hard and trying to grow a business from nothing, you know, then if they want to do this, great. But as long as they do something that they care about, um, you know, that's the main thing from my standpoint of it. You know, I didn't want to be an egg until I was probably a freshman or sophomore in college. And, you know, I, I think if you instill that in them, they will eventually make the right choice where I don't really want to point them in any, any direction. But um, to, to Mark's point about, you know, this younger generation being able to communicate with, you know, through social media and different ways than what we communicate with, he's absolutely right. I mean, I see it. it it's not even... It's not even close most of the time when a son comes back into an operation or, or multiple sons or daughter or whatever, um, you know, when they come back in, uh, I end up usually calling the younger generation because they pick up their phone. They will communicate me, communicate with me very crisply and to the point. Um, you know, they will answer my questions um, and they, they listen really, really well. I mean, they listen very well where I'm of the age that when I'm talking to 50, 60, 70 year old guys, um, a lot of times they don't have their cell phone on them. They don't care if it's anywhere near them. So it's just a different level of communication altogether. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm a little different from the standpoint that I'm young and I move back into a rural area that doesn't have a lot of young people. Um, so what he's saying is there is a next wave of us, but there are fewer of us 
and it, it, we're going to have to be able to do more with less. And you have to be better at communication. You have to be better at technology. You have to be better at, at efficiencies. Um, so there's just a lot of things for the future of ag that are kind of up in the air. But a lot of it is just getting young people and, and families to, to come back and to be a part of the community and make it what we grew up in. So. Yep. And I didn't think of this a lot when I was younger, but as I get older, I see organizations also being a big benefit in that. I mean, like the Soybean Association or the Corn Growers Association, especially with that older group of farmers, they're not comfortable communicating, but those organizations are avenues and have resources that are very good at communicating. Yeah. And, and I think that's a big plus. And, and we saw that, I think, through the whole Des Moines Water Works lawsuit and getting through that. Um, whether it be that organization trying to educate the growers on what the issue is, but also kind of be in the intermediary between the two, you know, cause all their headquarters are in Des Moines. That's, that's great. I <laughs> mean, know, that's a great idea. And they live there, <laughs> yeah, right, um, right. but they're on the farmer's side and they see both perspectives real easily. So they, they, they facilitate that conversation that I was talking about earlier. Um, there's a, there's a place for those organizations too. Cool. This conversation was so interesting. Thank you for taking the time and sharing it with us. Is there anything else you guys want to add? No, I, I we're appreciate your time. We're starting to dry up. It's time to actually get something yeah. done. I know this planting season's been kind of a, a, a tug of war. So hope we can plant tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. For the next rain. So well, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Channel Chat. I learned a little bit of everything talking to Andrew and Mark today, whether it was about farming, agriculture, their businesses, and even the environment. These guys have a lot of knowledge in their areas of expertise, and we definitely wish them the best of luck this season. Now I'm going to toss it over to grain marketing consultant Matt Bennett. He's going to give us some advice on basis management and how a producer can incorporate that into their marketing plan. This is Matt Bennett, the Grain Marketing Consultant for Channel Seed, and uh, we're going to continue our discussion on basis today. Uh, I want to talk a little more specifically. We've already covered uh, uh, some of the uh, basic stuff, as in, uh, you know, basis is widest whenever there's uh, the most grain around, and basis is tightest whenever we have off crops, whenever we can't access the grain, especially maybe in certain areas. Uh, and so, how does a producer use this in their marketing plan? Uh, you know, first of all, as a producer, I've got to understand that if I know I'm going to need money in the middle of harvest, uh, I've got to realize that the basis is likely to be very wide. And typically speaking, uh, futures price is uh, fairly weak during harvest as well, especially if it's in a typical year. Uh, the reason for that, of course, is that there's more grain readily available uh, and the market is not out there searching for grain. So if I know I'm going to need money during harvest, I need to be having some of those sales made uh, before harvest rolls around because a really rough time to make the decision to make grain sales is going to be right in the middle of harvest. Uh, do I sell or do I store? It's an emotional time. Uh, and quite frankly, we don't always make great decisions when we're highly emotional. And so after harvest, you know, how does basis act as the year goes through? So in the 2018 calendar year, uh, the closest uh, commercial to me would be Decatur ADM. Uh, during the middle harvest, they were running a 35 under basis, so 35 under, under the December. Uh, and then as uh, harvest went along, uh, uh, it was only about 10 marketing days, and we saw that basis actually go to option price the December. So yes, 
Uh, their basis actually improved by 35 cents in a matter of a couple of weeks. Uh, it was a very interesting move to see, but uh, by all means, we saw a couple of different things happen as harvest wound down and they were trying to access some of the bushels that were coming in towards the end of harvest. Uh, you know, they had to increase their basis. And so uh, some of the local elevators, of course, followed suit. So if I'm a producer and I know I'm putting grain in the bin, I want to stop and think about what might basis be able to do to me post-harvest. So as you move through the calendar year, this year was uh, very similar to many of the years we've seen. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the years where you have uh, very tight stocks, basis can sometimes catch fire and you can actually have, uh, you know, uh, over the market. So, you know, basis is the difference between cash and futures, as we talked about before. Uh, but you might be looking at uh, the market actually uh, locally being higher than what it is on the board of trade whenever you're in a very tight situation. So a produ producer who has bins, uh, one thing that we like to advocate uh, is selling when there's carry in the market, which means the futures price is worth more farther along in the year than what it is today. And in 2018, uh, the difference between, between December futures and July 19 futures uh, actually at one time got up into the mid 20 cent range. We told producers sell that corn and then uh, as you move forward, once basis gets better, that's when you want to sell your corn. And so one of the best times uh, for producers to, uh, or the best ways for them to make money off of their bins is to uh, essentially lock in the carry in the market and then turn around, wait on basis to improve for them and make the sale uh, whenever the basis is strongest. So, you know, as we wrap up this discussion on basis, the things that I want you to remember is that you can use basis uh, to your advantage. Uh, we should listen to uh, what basis is trying to tell us because typically uh, basis can mean quite a bit to us as producers and that if we can harvest just a little bit more out of the crops that we're storing and putting in our bins at home, uh, sometimes it can pay huge dividends for us on down the road. So. Once again, this is Matt Bennett, uh, the grain marketing consultant with Channel Seed, and I sure hope that uh, you'll get back to me with any sort of questions you have and, uh, and be able to learn something from this discussion on basis that we've had. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to hear more from Season 2 of Channel Chat. Learn more at channelpodcasting.com.